and I will trust Brexit Focus with Paul Goslin and Jared Dean. Hello and welcome to the Hollywell Podcast Brexit Focus. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined by our Brexit expert, Paul Gosling. Good day. So this is the second in our special series looking at Brexit and the impact that it's likely to have on the Northwest. Before we go any further, we have to acknowledge the support of our funders for this project, Community Foundation for Northern Ireland, and then Hollywell Trust has a range of core funders anyway, the Community Relations Council, Derry City and Strabandistic Council, Building Change Trust, the Ireland Funds and the Department for Foreign Affairs. Today we're going to have a Brexit interview that Paul has just done this morning and by this morning I mean the 24th of January. Uh, the interview is with John Kelby and Seamus Neely, Chief Executives of Derry City and Strabandistic Council and Donegal County Council. First up then, Paul, Brexit watch. I, th- I was expecting a quiet month for January but it's been relatively busy. I think the first major announcement particularly for the community sector is that it's likely that there'll be a continuation of the peace program beyond 2020 when it's supposed to close there's talk of continuing it to at least 2025 it looks promising mm. and and this is part of the conversation that uh, listeners will hear soon between the two chief executives and myself that mm-hmm. uh, the european union is committed to its role continuing in cementing peace in Northern Ireland and the border counties, including Donegal. Mm. And it recognises, obviously, that uh, avoiding a repeat to, of conflict will actually be of benefit to places like Donegal and Monaghan and the other border areas. We have always dreaded the peace funds coming out and the administration behind them, but we also have to welcome the impact that they've had over the last while. So it's looking like we can expect perhaps peace five, which is really good. And then I suppose a bit of surprising news that came out during the month is that Nigel Farage seems to be leaning towards a second Brexit referendum or support of one. What's your reaction to that one? It's impossible to understand, really, what's going on in Brexit, and it's also impossible to understand what's going on in Nigel Farage's mind. (laughs) Fair enough. And maybe he's serious, maybe he isn't. He didn't actually say definitively that he wants another Brexit referendum. What Mm. he's saying is that he's veering towards thinking that way or something like that. So, you know, maybe he wants that, maybe he's just trying to see how much influence he has. Uh, maybe he just wants to deflect attention from the fact that he's being caught up in the uh, the Trump scandal in the United States. Yeah. So it's difficult to know. But, I mean, there is, I mean, to be more serious about it, there is support for a Brexit referendum part two mm-hmm. uh, amongst some of the MPs as well. Uh, Tony Blair has supported that. Uh, Tony Blair is possibly more influential than Nigel Farage, but yeah, not quite <laughs> sure, but probably not in, his own, in terms of his own Labour Party these days. Mm. But... Um, it is possible. It's still an outside bet. The probability is that we'll go ahead with Brexit. Uh, it looks as if uh, the Labour Party is moving nearer towards support for retention of membership of the Customs Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sir Keir Starmer, who's the Brexit negotiator, will be in Derry in a few days' time. Uh, so we will perhaps get a bit of a, a clearer idea exactly of the thinking of the Labour Party. But there's also signs uh, inside the Conservative Party that it's more inclined perhaps now to go towards retention of membership of the Customs Union. Mm. So it looks as if we might be outside of the single market in terms of freedom of movement of people. But inside the customs union and perhaps effectively inside the single market bar the movement of people. But all this is just speculation, Uh, Gerard. That's wait and see stuff and God knows what's going to happen. Okay, there was also a report that showed an incredible finding that 
Brexit might lead to more cross-border smuggling on this island. Yes, that's no surprise, really, is it? I mean, you know, there already is a significant amount of, you could call it cross-border smuggling. I mean, you know, but equally, you can just say that a lot of it is cross-border shopping where you take advantage of the lower tax system. I mean, we all go across the border if we're in Derry to buy our petrol in Donegal pretty well. And, you know, people uh, south of the border will come to the north to buy certain items where the, you know, the customs are are higher in the south and some alcoholic goods, for example. So, you know, there's a lot of that trade, but actually what there's you're going to find is probably a lot of white vans going across the border or yeah. even you know state cars with uh, a, a large <laughs> amount of uh, things uh, in the back which uh, will then be going on resale so yeah obviously yeah. obviously yeah. It, once you have the border you create if you have different systems of customs and tariffs and taxes then you're going to create a bigger incentive towards cross-border smuggling yeah and then I suppose another potential impact that Brexit's likely to have we've had Nicola Sturgeon come out within the month and say uh, Brexit might cost Scotland thirteen billion pounds. Yeah, I wouldn't actually believe any of the expectations, the predictions about the actual level of damage. Mm-hmm. I think it would be very surprising if Brexit didn't damage the UK's economy, including the Scottish economy, including the Northern Ireland economy. I think it's unlikely that you wouldn't have damage. Yeah. But whether the actual figure is the the, the what's being put forward by the uh, the Scottish survey or not, who knows? Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll find out when we're there. Uh, okay, no bother. Um, and then I suppose there's been a bit of conciliation between unionists over the month and the Irish government in particular, which may have been a contributing factor towards the the new round of political talks to get the assembly up and running again. But that seemed to be Brexit-focused conciliation as well. Well, we have to remember the context here, Gerard, which Mm. is that the Good Friday Agreement was all about how carefully you use words. And actually, you know, we're still there now. Uh, When people talk about a special status for Northern Ireland or the North, you know, as Sinn Féin has done, then, you know, because Sinn Féin has said it, then the unionists can't accept it. So the the phrase special status, you know, is ruled out. Uh But when you talk about maybe a special economic zone or an economic zone that recognises the particular circumstances of Northern Ireland, then actually, just because you've changed the words without necessarily changing the meaning, then actually becomes more acceptable to another group of people. So unionists, yes. I mean, unionists recognise that even though they hope that Brexit will lead to stronger links between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, they recognise clearly there is a danger that Brexit will cause economic damage and Mm. they want to protect the whole of the economy from that. So there is, you know, common interest amongst the Irish government, the Northern Ireland parties, including the Unionist parties, towards creating circumstances in Northern Ireland which protects us as best as possible and perhaps looks for opportunities coming out of it. Thanks for the update. That's our Brexit watch piece done. We're going to hear now from uh, Seamus and John, who you interviewed earlier today. On Wednesday, January 31st, the Hollywell Trust invites you to the 5th Hollywell Stew event. Enjoy a different kind of night out as we serve a meal before four of our community projects pitch their ideas for a chance they win the money collected at the door. Places are limited, so purchase your 10-point tickets as soon as possible from the Hollywell Trust building on Bishop Street or via eventbit.co.uk. The Hollywell Stew, 7pm on Wednesday 31st of January. Hope to see you there. As Chief Executives of local authorities, what are your main concerns about Brexit? The primary concern here would be shared with other border councils 
in that obviously any imposition of any physical restriction, particularly to trade, cross-border would be one of the biggest concerns of all. Um, but obviously that's something that we would share in this particular area with other border counties. But obviously with the degree of integration that exists, uh, societal and community-based integration that exists in this area, that's also a very primary concern. Yeah, I suppose building on that then, having done a joint analysis between the two council areas in relation to what the challenges that we particularly need to be looking at, the concern then is to ensure that those issues that need to be addressed in order to put mitigations in place are sufficiently understood, sufficiently articulated, so that we engage all of the potential players and partners out there that can help us manage that to ensure that the potential and the latent potential of, of the region isn't compromised beyond what it would otherwise be. Now, you're both talking about the economic and social impact of Brexit, but clearly there's also a financial impact direct on your authorities. I mean, to, starting with you, John, I mean, to what extent has the Council benefited and to what extent is it dependent on European Union funding? The Council has probably benefited more indirectly than directly. It's not directly in receipt of, of core EU funding. Um, there are obviously the, the range of structural funds. Those are mostly administered by government departments. They are, they are, some of them are spent in our council area and some of them are channeled through council. And then there's a second raft of funding that's available. It's through competitive processes. For example, <coughs> the interreg process whereby council, actually both of our councils, have applied, for example, uh, projects to deliver cross-border greenways where we've been successful in drawing down almost £15 million out of a £20 million pot. So European Union funding has been particularly beneficial in this area over the years for us as councils to augment our spend, to deliver projects that we wouldn't have had the budget to do, um, to provide gap funding in augmenting other governmental department spend. And that's where they will be most most missed in the future, should there not be new arrangements put in place. And Seamus, does that apply to you in the same way? Yeah, that largely applies to ourselves as well. I suppose, as, as John has said, while we haven't benefited directly as two organisations from depending on monies to run the organisations, quite a bit of the interreg monies in particular would have been channeled through the councils, uh, out into community groups and out into, I suppose, fledgling businesses that can help them to build capacity probably helped us to do some marketing for the region that we wouldn't otherwise have done. So while it, it isn't an, an absolute integral part of what we depend on, it certainly helped us to add capacity and to, um, I suppose, showcase some of the potential that exists in the region. But to take a broader view, given that the North West has very weak infrastructure, I mean, perhaps directed to you, John, the Interreg programme has been very helpful to help build the local infrastructure. Perhaps you can explain a bit about how the council's objectives have been assisted and are being assisted by interreg money. I think obviously <clears throat> one of the key issues in this area is the peripherality um, and without any doubt European Union funding has helped address some of that in terms of physical infrastructure, in terms of virtual infrastructure but also in terms of supporting the, the, the skills base and the employment base within the area. Council's wider strategic plan um, in partnership with, with all of the key stakeholders in the city and the region does require significant external intervention to, to transform this place. So while there has been 
quite a bit of European Union support, for example, in our road infrastructure, in our rail infrastructure, um, in relation to air links and route development. Much of that is potentially under threat um, with the uh, post-2019. It is, however, has been beneficial to see some of the statements emerging from the European Union, in particular the agreement that was struck prior to Christmas, which does signal that, that there is the potential for some form of new funding uh, in a post-Brexit scenario. And of course, in this city region, with the new partnership that exists um, across the border, um, between the two councils in particular, and supported by governments, there's an ideal platform there which has now been built to support some form of new financial territorial cooperation measure that might be put in place by Europe. But just to stress this point to help people understand the benefits of EU funding in the past, I mean the city of Derry Airport has benefited from EU money, I believe, and the rail line upgrade between Derry and Belfast has specifically been assisted by European Union funding. It has. There's a plethora of infrastructure projects. The Peace Bridge, for example, uh, the Colmo Road roundabout works that were undertaken uh, a number of years ago, um, significant elements of infrastructure within the city, and as you say, the rail line have all benefited from European Union funding, as indeed a number of the infrastructure projects in, in County Donegal. The building that we're in here today is a fine example, Catalyst Inc. building here uh, in, in the city of Derry, and, and as it was a companion building at the Letterkenny Institute of Technology, um, both both funded under um, under interreg programs, I suppose in, in a Donegal scenario, and I suppose in the more slightly more distant past, um, we would have benefited significantly from structural funds in terms of road improvements, particularly national primary, national secondary, and regional roads across the county, and then from cohesion monies in respect of bringing a number of our wastewater infrastructure and water treatment facilities up to modern standards. So there, there has been a significant investment, but thankfully that investment is there. It, you know, it, it, will, it, 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 is, it has already been achieved and will help us, I suppose, work our way through this. And I suppose what John and I are now uh, anxious to ensure is that some of the opportunities that might otherwise have arisen in the future are replaced in some way, whether it's through a territorial cooperation approach or, or otherwise. And I suppose we're, we're fortunate in that the, the partner working that we have between the two councils is something that pre-existed the Brexit conversation and indeed we had um, matured our, our overall ambitions and our overall vision for our partner working in advance of that. It was good to be able to do that in advance of, of the Brexit conversation uh, being there in a dominant way because it means that we're, we had a, a good understanding of what it was we wanted to achieve in any event. and that help us understand what the realisable ambition is. Mm. But to go back to the funding issue, isn't it significant <coughs> that actually, I mean, most economists would say this is specifically about uh, Northern Ireland, uh, to a lesser extent perhaps about Donegal. I mean, the economists would say that basically the real challenges that the Northern Ireland economy faces are down to the lack of skills and the lack of infrastructure, particularly in the North West. And actually it's the European Union that has strategically taken that role of addressing those weaknesses where perhaps the Northern Ireland core government budget has gone on to day-to-day things rather than dealing with the strategic weaknesses. And is in, in a way perhaps that's where we potentially would miss the European Union engagement. Yeah, and that's where we are most vulnerable. As I said earlier, um, we are a peripheral economy without any doubt. Uh, even with the softest of Brexits, um, we will potentially be more peripheral. Um, and 
the only way to mitigate that peripherality is to invest in our infrastructure uh, to ensure that we are more connected, more connected to Dublin and its airport, more connected to Belfast and its airport, uh, more connected virtually. So yes, the European Union funding has been used to augment that connectivity, but it's mostly um, been channeled through government departments, whereby government departments have been able to stretch their budgets to uh, put in place that infrastructure. So it will be interesting to see, and certainly we will be making a strong case for um, any additional funding that is provided through the UK government or any new European Union intervention to be spent in similar ways. But it creates a political challenge for both (coughs) of you and for your council members to engage politically to ensure that the budgets, the core budgets, just don't go on as they have always have been, but actually they they are adjusted to recognise the, the the impact, the loss of European Union funding that has been so key in addressing those strategic weaknesses. Yeah, and I, and I think our conversation with government um, is taking place in uh, t- in two distinct lots. One is our discussion with government about interaction with this area in relation to provision of day-to-day services but probably the most and bigger conversation is in relation to the strategic game changers for this particular economy so most of our interaction with government at this juncture is in relation to ongoing infrastructure provision uh, ongoing investment in skills and education the development and delivery of the expansion of Ulster University in conjunction with Northwest Regional College and LYIT, for example. So it's in and around the key strategic issues and how they will be funded in future, either um, either by government directly or a cocktail of funding um, from government or governments, uh, together with local authorities and the European Union. Much of which comes down to what happens about your bid for city growth deal for, for Derry. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one, it's one potential wrapper that could deliver on the strategic projects. I think there are a number of other opportunities that exist out there, but right now it's certainly one that we are hotly pursuing. And Seamus, I mean, how do you see Donegal fitting with Derry City's city growth deal, assuming it happens? Well, I suppose, and again, this is back to a point I made earlier, we, we had begun this conversation in the absence of, of Brexit or indeed the possibility of a city deal in you know, um, the it just made sense to work together because it is, in essence, a single functional economic area. So when those um, circumstances exist, it makes perfect sense to um, to partner with the likes of Derry City and Strabane District Council in relation to the pursuit of a city deal because you know the, the same parameters apply on, on both sides of of where the, where the land border is. I suppose going back to an earlier point you made about the political challenge around. I suppose articulating um, what it is that we need to do. I think we would both probably reflect on the fact that that our exchanges with government, both governments, in fact, have been uh, very positive in that respect and have um, have largely concentrated on the potential of the region as distinct from simply only reflecting on what we don't have. And I think that's what that's what has been particularly encouraging about it. While there are challenges out there, there are deficits, there are gaps. I think that they are being viewed in the context of the overall potential of the region, um, the great value that exists here, and the potential that exists to continue to develop that skills base that will serve as a pipeline of uh, job growth and job, job employment, which will ultimately be our, our sustainable existence into the future. And I suppose one of your tasks, uh, Seamus, 
is that, uh, along with John, is the fact that you have to explain to decision makers in Dublin, in London and Belfast that the nature of a border community means that a skills deficit on one side of the border is a skills deficit on the other side of the border as well. And a road infrastructure deficit on one side of the border is equally a deficit on the other side of the border. And to what extent do you think that the key decision makers understand that? Yeah, well... I feel that, that um, there is a much deeper understanding of that than there has been. I think the Brexit conversation, truthfully, has helped us in order, has helped create some opportunities for us to, to strengthen that understanding. And um, I suppose the, the analysis that we would have done across the two councils in the early days from immediately after the ref- referendum up until December or January of, of that year um, helped us, to, I suppose, to, to analyse and put some facts on the table. The, that publication helped us certainly to deal with some of the issues and some of the questions that you talk about. So no, I believe that there is a, there is a strong understanding, uh, there's a strong acceptance uh, on, in both governments of, of the existence of that single functional economic area where, one, there are... Um, Many reflections of the other on either side, as you say, and I suppose if you just look even simply at something like the N2 and the A5, N14, the, the road that connects Letterkenny uh, to Dublin, you know, it, it passes partially through Donegal, passes through parts of Tyrone and goes back in, into Monaghan and onwards. So you know, that that road that will be looked as as the main road from Dublin to the northwest um, is a road that passes both through passes through both jurisdictions and therefore its development in both jurisdictions is critical and that's reflected across the board. It's reflected across you know, the, the fact that five, six thousand people cross the border each way on a daily basis, whether it's work, education, healthcare or otherwise. Um, you know, the, the, those working in the larger employers in Erkenic, typically 20-25% of those live in John's council area and similarly many of those that work in this city and in Strabane live in, in Donegal. So there's you know there's um there's a connectedness there that isn't replicated any, anywhere else on this island and indeed we feel that um, it's unique right across Europe in terms of of a cross border single functional economic area and for that reason it's it's it really drives us to ensure that um, that our potential isn't compromised as a consequence of the challenges we currently face. And Seamus, I mean, it must be particularly frustrating for Donegal County Council that. You are representing as a citizenship base that had no say in the outcome. You have benefited significantly from EU cross-border funds. You will lose that. You had no say in the process. And probably you're not really in a strong position to get replacement for those fundings because they, you know, they weren't funds that came direct from central government in Dublin. Yeah. Perhaps we haven't taken time to think about whether it is a frustration or not. It's, it's a matter of fact now that the circumstances that are there exist. Um, I think we will remain as a member state, so therefore our opportunity to continue uh, to um, access some of the European funding is, is perhaps more clear than, than it might be for, for John's area. But nevertheless, what we want to ensure is that that is developed and in such a way is that our primary partnership here in the North West is able to be a a beneficiary in its entirety from that opportunity that should continue to exist for us in Donegal. So, I mean, clearly the European Union has indicated, the European Commission has indicated its willingness to continue potentially to fund projects uh, on the border areas. I mean, are you optimistic that despite Brexit, that actually Donegal and therefore potentially Derry as well can benefit from continued EU funding? Yeah, I am optimistic that, that that can be achieved, but... 
I think that said, we need to ensure that we continue to work at it. We need to continue to understand uh, that as it develops, so that we maximise our full opportunity from it. You know, it's it's perhaps more important. Uh, for us to ensure that the the functionality of the area remains yeah. as strong as it is today, um, and while the the funding is critically important, yes, but I think we're going one step behind that as well to ensure that that the functionality that we currently exist across that single economic area is something that can sustain. Because quite frankly, the the combination of the two areas creates a critical mass that helps us to be to. Um, to provide services and to provide opportunities that separately we might not otherwise be able to do. So that that's a core piece of what we're at. John, you wanted to comment yeah, on that I, as well. I think just just um, picking up on a few of the points that Seamus has mentioned there, I think the fundamental difference in this area over the last number of years is that we have, we have stopped back-to-back planning, um, which had been going on for a very good reason for many decades. By which you mean um, uh, each entity seeing only itself and not seeing the correct. relationship with the, across the border. Correct. Whether that be in health, whether that's education, whether that's infrastructure, jobs and skills or inward investment. Uh, not too long ago, for example, uh, Donegal County Council will have undertaken uh, uh, international investment missions probably weeks before or weeks after Derry City Council would have done the same thing perhaps in the same geographical area. Um, We didn't think of ourselves as a proper 360 degree city region centred on the urban areas of Derry, Letterkenny, Straban. Um, We we certainly in the city um, planned on a 180 degree basis and Donegal planned um, for its county. So that changed prior to Brexit, um, whereby uh, both councils and all of the stakeholders began to think in those terms, um, think like every other city right across the UK and Ireland and indeed Europe does, whereby it must plan for that wider population, that 360 degree uh, circle around the city. Um, so we put in place new structures, new partnerships to do just that. Brexit then occurred. Um, so it is the case now that this functional economic area, this cross-border functional economic area, is now well established within the psyche of both the UK government and the Irish government, and the response to Brexit will therefore be um, shaped um, by that strategic thinking. So it's not a case anymore of uh, Donegal potentially benefiting from something. Uh, or Derry benefiting from something, it's the cross-border functional city region that will benefit. What the two of you are saying quite (coughs) clearly is that the strategic, strong relationships, partnerships will continue. To go back to the issue of European Union funding, I mean, we, we believe that the Commission is sympathetic to continued funding, but it won't be the same type of funding as in the past, probably. I mean, how, Seamus, do you think any EU funds that come into the future will, will be different from those that have come in the past? Well, you know, I think if you track it over the past 25 years or so, um, one could say that, that the type of funding we got and the, and the drivers for getting that funding has changed. So there has been an evolution. Uh, the, the, the funding has, or the funding streams and the mechanisms to, to, to deliver that have evolved to take regard to the circumstances of the day and I would expect that the same would happen in this circumstance and I suppose when, when we're when we look at it the, the issues that always affected this region and perhaps 
always compromised our ability to achieve outcomes are the same issues that affect us today. It's about the infrastructure, it's about getting access, it's, it's about ensuring that there's a sufficient broadband connectivity across the entire region, and it's, it's about ensuring that there is a, a pipeline of skills, skills development, and people on the ground to serve as the jobs that, that will exist. So we would expect that having regard to those as being the, the challenges that we're, we are articulating as our most important uh, at this particular point in time, that the range of monies that might come available would be having regard to that context, and we should therefore be able to draw down against that and help to follow some of those deficits. Let me, let me put Sir. forward a suggestion to the two of you then. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, it would seem to me that the logic of interreg funding would be that the focus might be t- more towards Cork's relationship with the continent of Europe rather than has been in the past about Lan's relationship with the continent of Europe. So there might well be less funding available <coughs> on, from Interreg, but on the other hand, the, 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 the conflict, the troubles affected Donegal very badly. There's a logic for peace funding perhaps to continue into the future, recognising the need for peace as affects the Republic as well as the North. So it's quite possible that while we're on peace four, there might be a peace five, for example. Is, do you think I'm, I'm talking sense there? Well, you know, to some extent, um, the uh, suite of European funding that has been available up to now Many of the projects that have been funded, um, all very valuable and worthwhile, have to some extent been f- been retrofitted to shape the nature of the funding. The funding has been put in place on a regional basis, maybe to meet with more global European priorities, um, where they've been put in place specifically for the border region. It's been um, uh, in relation to the global priorities of the border region. What potentially um, is before us now is an opportunity to to shape a new funding stream that will deliver on our strategic objectives. Uh, and in particular, as I've said before, while this region shares many of the difficulties and also the opportunities of the wider border region, there are distinct challenges and opportunities in this region. So I do personally think that the strong partnership and alliance that we now have together with the very clear strategic vision and direction um, will enable us to have a a, a very strong voice at the table um, when uh, new measures are being considered and the outcomes of those measures are being considered. So potentially in the future um, sources of funding that uh, become open to us will more directly deliver on our strategic objectives as opposed to uh, chasing funding for funding's sake. And so you're thinking, for example, that because <coughs> we actually have a cross-border labour market, the, the logic is there to continue to seek European Union support for the improvement of skills in an area that is cross-border in terms of the way the labour market works. Mm-hmm. What about peace funding replacement? Because uh, uh, people listening to this may well be in the voluntary, the charitable sector in the northwest on both sides of the border, and they will be concerned because a lot of them have received a lot of money, as some of them will be dependent on European Union money. Should they just close their doors, or, or will they have the opportunity, do you believe, in getting new funding from the European well, Union? Well, look at what Europe has been saying all along. Um, paramount in any discussion, paramount in any discussion on the border is the is ensuring that the, the gift of peace um, is preserved and built upon. Um, the Good Friday Agreement and the preservation and the integrity of the Good Friday Agreement sits at the core of all of the discussions so far. So it would appear to me, and certainly in any discussions that we've had in Brussels together with uh, the member state governments, 
um, is that is that clearly in terms of while economics are important in this part of the world, peace is paramount, um, and the, uh, the European Union in particular have voiced that on numerous occasions. So I would think that uh, in with relation to future funding, um, peace will will be top of the bill in terms of preserving and building upon the investment to date and the success to date, clearly. And of course, you know, the conversations in the media often think of the border as being either an economic or a political problem. But it's also (coughs) very much about the social impact. We have families that are on both sides of the border. And so we we must never forget the the potential rupture of social relationships as we've seen in you know in Central Europe over after the first after the Second World War. So I mean presumably we must continue to think of the social impact of Brexit. Absolutely. I mean it's the, the, the psychological impact of the Brexit vote was palpable uh, in this region um, and and very acute in the weeks following the vote. Um, there was almost a sense of the world closing in as opposed to the world expanding. I think that has uh, changed over the last number of months when people begin to see uh, the nature of the negotiations that are taking place. And again, back to the level of integration that exists in this area of all of the cross-border movements that take place on the island of Ireland, over 60% of all of those movements are between Derry, Straban and Donegal. Um, So that level of integration, that level of uh, social integration and community integration is is, uh, most apparent in this area and must be preserved at all costs. And of course we're also very welcoming of people from in particular Eastern Europe in terms of their role, for example, in the hospitality industry in Donegal. And we are very keen, I would think, to, to stress to people from other countries within the European Union that we don't want them to leave because they're so valuable to, to our workforce. Absolutely, they're an integral part of many of our communities. And I suppose when, when we look at, as John has mentioned, the, the degree of integration that exists across the two council areas, the same degree of integration exists in the sub-communities whether they're along the border, whether it's crossing for sport, health, education, retail, work, um, you know, just general leisure. So all of the things that need to happen to ensure that that continues as is and strengthens uh, is an integral part of building a confidence and building a sustainable existence for, for the wider region because it's in our ability to be able to continue to expand on that that our strength lies. Now, we've spoken about Brexit as if it's a negative, but you have also, as councils, argued that perhaps it can be a positive because if we can avoid the impact of a hard border, then you can perhaps argue that businesses here are well located to do business on both sides of the border. I mean, how realistic is it to believe that Brexit could be a positive (coughs) for the North West, John? Well, I mean, as Seamus said earlier, uh, it's currently a reality, so we must plan for the reality. Um, And the reality is it's brought a sharp focus to, uh, as we've talked about at length today, the infrastructural deficit and the skills deficit of the region. So um, the potential benefit of Brexit is that once and for all we may be able to put in place measures that mitigate or improve or enhance that connectivity and, and that skills deficit. So. If we can work together and work together with governments and work together with the European Union 
um, we will deliver on the transformational projects that will break the cycle of economic decline in this area. Um, that together with um, the macro conversations that are underway about um, free movement of people across the border, um, uh, no tariffs and trade across the border, um, should significantly enhance this area and will significantly mitigate Brexit. In relation to um, the marketing of this city region as a location for inward investment, if we can say that we have uh, first-class connectivity, if we can say that we have, and we do have, um, excellent, dynamic, growing, uh, industry-focused, third-level educational establishments, if we can say that we have got um, the best quality of life of any city region across these islands, and together we can offer an opportunity for companies to locate either side of the border, or indeed both sides of the border, with free access to a community that is free to cross the border, then I think we've got significant additional strengths in other city regions. James, is that how you see it as well? Absolutely, and I suppose building on that a little bit, if you look at the so some of the, the precise opportunities are small and medium enterprises in particular would have largely tended to service from an export perspective um, the market on the other side of the border so maybe 35-40% of the SMEs in Donegal would depend on the Dairy Straban uh, area for maybe up to 40% of, of what they make do or sell and I think this has caused an opportunity where we actually can ask them to collectively look at at exporting beyond this region uh, and you know we see perfect examples of that over the past year or so where we have uh, small and medium companies and in, in up in the northwest now that are selling traded services right across the world whether they're providing quantity surveying services into the US or whether they're um, providing HR or accountancy services into the wider European market from bases here in the city or indeed in Letterkenny so there's, there's a big opportunity as a consequence of that and I think to look uh, the, for the entire um, business community in the Northwest to look at that in particular, um, I think that, that there, there is a, a possibility of adding significant additional uh, economic activity as a consequence of that. And that's something that perhaps wasn't happening to the same extent before the Brexit conversation started because there was enough demand in the immediate area to, to um, absorb what it was that they were producing. Miss an episode of our concluding testimony series? Then you can still catch up on every episode you did thanks to our on-demand streaming and download services. Episodes such as the testimony of Hazel Deeney, the wife of Trevor Deeney, who was murdered by the INLA. He'd no sooner done on this and his book than he started to squeal and I couldn't work out what was going on and before I realised he started to shout, I'm going to die. And two gunmen were in front of us before I knew what they think or what they expect. One was beside him at the passenger door and one was in the front of the one screen. The testimony of Jerry McDade. My honest opinion is see when, see when they, these things was all happening, it was all the norm. It could have been anybody. Life carried on. You can listen and download each episode of the Hollywell Testimony Series for free on our stitcher.com and on Apple Podcast pages, or search for our testimony playlist on soundcloud.com. Search for Hollywell Podcast. So, Paul, thank you for doing that, and if you.
What's your main takeaways from it? Well, the points that both John and Seamus were stressing was that partnership arrangements between the two councils have never been as strong before as they are now. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of practical joint planning, you know, road schemes, commercial developments, and so on. And those arrangements are actually integrated into the way the councils work they have chief officers that uh, senior officers that meet together regularly and those arrangements will continue after brexit whatever happens in terms of the border they will continue to work very closely together and there are cross-border things that will continue to be cross-border you know for example the labor market will continue to Mm. be a cross-border labor market pretty well however the border works itself out so they will continue to plan together and work together closely and the other point is that they do recognise the importance of European Union funds and that they are optimistic that they continue to get EU funds on both sides of the border, uh, for example, in particular about peace funding, and that actually there is the opportunity to continue to receive European Union funding, which has been so important to us yeah. in Derry and Donegal. Thanks again to yourself for doing it, but also to John Kelby and Seamus Neely for taking the time out of what are very busy schedules in order to be interviewed. We really do appreciate it. And we can look forward to more interviews um, each month as we move forward. Another feature of this podcast is going to be, and I'm stressing going to be, the Brexit questions element. Unfortunately, Paul, we haven't had anybody who's got anything really burning this month to come in and say, could you help me or could you answer the following question? We do remain open to questions. Paul will endeavour to answer them as best they can. And if anybody has anything, either email it through to brexit at hollywelltrust.com or you can simply call us on 71261941 and we'll have a chat about what it is that you're looking to get answered. So Paul, the last thing then that we are going to have a quick chat about is your Brexit blog that's going to appear in the Derry Journal this week. Can you give us a wee brief synopsis of what it is? Yes, I mean, when I walk around the city centre in Derry, Mm -hmm. I see, you know, Buildings that are closing up. For example, we've just lost Harry's Restaurant in the Craft Village and we've lost Samara's, uh, a well-known shop over by the Guildhall Square. And this is despite the fact that we should actually be in a stronger position now because of the Brexit vote Mm -hmm. in the short term because of the devaluation of sterling. So if this is what the good times look like, what do the bad times look like when we actually have perhaps less people coming over the border Mm -hmm. and there's been a survey just published a report just published by the accountancy firm ey which has pointed out that over the last year there's been uh, 418 million euros worth of trade that's 367 million pounds worth of trade coming over in terms of people coming from donegal and other places over the border into northern ireland Mm. so if we didn't have that how bad would the situation be Mm. okay well i look forward to the read it's a, going to be available through the Dairy Journal website and hopefully next week it'll be available through our own website, the hollywelltrust.com as well. Look out for that. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks again to our interviewees, John Kelby and Seamus Neely. I just want to give a brief reminder of some events that are coming up in Hollywell Trust next week. On Monday the 29th, we have a tea time event with Dr. Jim Waller, who's going to be talking on confronting evil, why civil and human rights matter. And Jim is the Cohen Professor of Holocaust and Genocide Studies at the Keene State College. He's also Director of Academic Programs with the Auschwitz Institute for Peace and Reconciliation. It promises to be a really interesting talk and it's open to everybody. It'd be great to let us know if you're coming, just so we can make sure we have a bite to eat there for you. And then next week as well, on the 31st of January, next Wednesday evening, 
We have our Hollywell Stew. As people might know, this is a micro-financing effort where people pay £10 ticket, they get a dinner and a vote. They hear pitches from community organisations or uh, social economy projects looking to set up and then people vote for the project they want to receive the money that's been taken at the door. So it's a great way of getting people and projects up and running and they make a real difference in the community. And again, we'd be delighted to see you there. Thank you for listening. Paul, thank you very much for all your work over the last month. Looking forward to hearing the interviews next month. Bye. You can stay up to date with us on our social media pages on Facebook, look for the Hollywell Trust, and on Twitter, it's at Hollywell Tea.